Thank you, Sonia, and good morning, everybody, whether you're here, there, or in the air, or wherever. Well, you've survived another Christmas. Everybody's still speaking with each other. Just another few days, and those Christmas decorations will come down. They'll go back in the boxes. Those lights that are all working now, strangely, I don't know whether you've got gremlins in your house like we have, but the stuff gets put away in the box, working. The following Christmas, you open it up, and guess what? It doesn't. <laughs> is it just our house, or is it everybody's? There's, uh, there's lots of things that we think about at this particular time of the year. But on the serious side, we've, we've thought of some glorious truths, haven't we? Emmanuel, God with us. But for some of us, these are truths that we savor and appreciate an awful lot at Christmas, uh, but then they go back in the box too, and they go back in the loft, uh, and Christmas is done for another year. And there are various uh, advertising campaigns that come round at Christmas. We see them every year. Uh, this one, uh, a dog is for life, not just for Christmas, and lots of people give pets at, at Christmas, and we love having them around uh, for a while, well over Christmas at any rate, but then we tire of them, uh, and then huge numbers of dogs are discarded in January as they become a nuisance, and they start making demands on us. And the truths that we consider at Christmas are a great blessing, but when they start making demands on us, we're prone to do with them what we do with an unwanted pet. We sort of put them to one side and try to forget all about them. We love the idea of Jesus being a baby at Christmas. We all coo over a baby, don't we? And then promptly hand it back. Uh, and all parents know that, that once a baby arrives in our lives, our lives get organized around them, don't they? Everything and absolutely everything changes. And it's the same when we invite Christ into our lives too. When one of our grandchildren was born, the elder sister went to hospital to see her new brother. Uh, and then when he was brought home later that evening, she obviously welcomed. But as the evening went by, she got very puzzled uh, as a two-year-old, still sort of grasping all these things, that this new baby wasn't going back to the hospital. You mean, he's staying? <laughs> you mean, this is, everything was going to be different for her. And, and those with older children also know that sooner or later, we see upward parenting. I shall never forget a moment uh, in uh, quite some years ago. Mark was about 19 at the time. Uh, I was in a well-paid position in the bank where uh, I was blessed with the opportunity. I could have basically any car I wanted uh, to, to drive around in. And the time came to change the car. And I was talking with Mark, who was involved in a project in Toxteth, in, in Liverpool, about what sort of car I would have. And he had very clear ideas uh, of what cars were compatible with being a Christian and what weren't at the time. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he then finished his argument saying, Dad, I'd think a lot less of you if you had one of those. But he was right. That was the point. He was right. And our kids will speak into our lives often truth that we'd rather not hear. So instead of wrapping everything up and putting it all back in the loft and getting on with life as usual, what would it have been like 
if the Christ child had actually grown up in your house and done sort of upward parenting on you. Jesus might have reminded you that even though you've gone through some tough times this year, God does care that he's building character into our lives to prepare us to fulfill the destiny that he's got in store for us. When your kids are swatting for exams, you say, I know it's tough, but keep going. This is going to prepare you for your future. Don't give up now. There's a big picture happening. And God can see the future and the reward that he has for you. Even what seems through tough times, you're in the hands of a God who loves you. Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. There's no caveats to that. And many times in the Bible, God emphasizes, and we looked at them in the last few sermons, that we are firmly in his hands. And as he promises again and again, we will go nowhere without him with us unless we choose to exclude him. And when we put our hand in his, they're not the hands of equals. They're the picture of a child grasping hold of its parent. No arguing, no complaining, just grasping tight. And it doesn't mean that evil will never befall us. But it does mean that whatever we face, we won't face alone. Jesus might have reminded you that your year won't have been anything like as bad as Job's. He lost his family, his home, his wealth, his reputation, everything. And Job's friends weren't a whole lot of good. They suggested it was down to his pride, down to his ancestors, down to his disobedience, down to his trust in riches, down to the sort of charity he had, that he'd been ripping people off. And then after 38 chapters of supposed help from his friends, and there's only 42 in the entire book, my Bible has the heading, God Answers Job. And he answers with a whole load of questions. And here are some of them. Do you know when I keep the lightning? Does the rain have a father? Whose womb does ice come from? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Who let the wild donkeys go free? What sort of help is that? What's it about? It's about perspective. Because Jeremiah is the same. Because he spends 12 chapters complaining about injustice. And then in chapter 12, verse 5, there's a section in my Bible which is headed up God's answer. So maybe Jeremiah is going to get more help than Job. But this is what God says. If racing against mere men makes you tired, how on earth are you going to race against horses? That's a great help. But the point is this. That in 12 months, today's problems won't seem anything like as important as they do today. But God lives in your tomorrow as well. And so when God speaks into your now, he's actually listening in your future. So we see our year in perspective. Jesus might have reminded you to look back at the good times when you served God well. Philippians 3 tells us that Paul had gone through some tough times. And then in verses 7 and 8, it says, But what was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And we read that in the context of what he'd done might be considered worthy, but he says they were like rubbish in the context of the prize. Because one day he and us, if we walk with Christ, we'd be given a crown to wear. And when we read in 2 Corinthians about the deprivations, the suffering, the persecutions, the beatings, the hunger, and all the other stuff that happened to him, we don't get a sense that he's looking for sympathy. Far from it. He considers that the deal that he's done with God is worth it. So don't wait for tomorrow. Pour your best into today. You know, the past is history. The future is a mystery. And the present is God's gift to you. Maybe that's why we call it the present. But it's the decisions that you take today that forge your tomorrow and ultimately your destiny. Because God wants you to know that he has a future for you. That he's going to eclipse whatever you think you've got now. So don't consider turning back or turning off even if the road seems hot or sticky or difficult or whatever. Jesus might have reminded you of his own life's vision, and we read about it earlier on with Sonia. Thank you. This is a picture of the likely synagogue that Jesus attended in, in Nazareth. Val and I visited it years ago. It was his home church, and in which he spoke of the 700-year-old prophetic manifesto from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free. The time of the Lord's favor has come. And what you've just heard is being fulfilled today. It's a message for the poor, for the marginalized, for the captives, for the blind. That's Jesus and God's heart. And just as an aside for those of you that consider yourself Bible students, if you look at this side by side with Mary's uh, manifesto in the Magnificat, you see a remarkable similarity. Mary was on board with this manifesto. Those of you who have any involvement in dealing with issues of poverty will be familiar with, with this slide. And we need to remember this at Christmas. We refer to a web of poverty, which shows three main types. And these are God's heart. Poverty of resources. People without income, without education, without health, without qualifications, without security. All the resources that you need to live a good life. A poverty of resources. Some have a poverty of identity, low self-worth, drug, <coughs> excuse me, or alcohol abuse, poor mental health, or poverty of relationships, family breakdown, isolation, trust, fear of crime. Earlier this month, the Center for Social Justice produced a report called Two Nations, the State of Poverty in the UK. And they reported 13.4 million people in the UK currently live lives marred 
by family fragility, stagnant wages, poor housing, chronic health, relationship breakdown, and crime. And Jesus' ministry focused on those within that web. The leper, the isolated, the blind, the woman at the well, the deaf, the disabled, the outsiders of faith, the tax collectors, the demon-possessed, those whose families are broken down. So you bought into that. Because if Jesus was living in your house, those passions would get shared with you. And have you been his voice and his hands to people in that web? Jesus would have reminded you to be the people that the poor and the voiceless can cry out to for help. Unborn children, for example, have no voice. The recent figures available for 2021, and they show that there were 624,828 live births in the UK, in England and Wales, sorry. And there were 214,869 abortions, which is the highest on record. And just 4,206 of those were due to a physical health risk on mum or child. So you could say that for every three live births, one was aborted. Who's their voice? Who's their voice? 20% of the world's population live on less than a dollar a day. They go to bed hungry every night. Every day, 22,000 children die from avoidable poverty diseases. 30 million people are trafficked around the globe every year. We their voice. Because if we've been liberated from this web of poverty, of spiritual and material imprisonment, then we are called to be that good news of freedom to those who are still in chains. Are we? And maybe you're still in chains. And the good news is that even today, you can receive the freedom that Christ alone can bring. And we'll flesh that out a little bit in a minute. Jesus would have reminded us to represent him wherever we go and whatever we do, blessing others as Christ himself would. And if you want the technical term, it's called incarnational theology. We do what Jesus would do. And Don Clark, in the time before everybody had their credit cards on their wallet, tells the story, he'd been taken to the circus by his dad, looking forward to it. And in front of them in the queue was a man, uh, and a, 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 a woman, and eight children who didn't look particularly well-dressed. And when they came to, to get to the queue for them to pay, the chap had either miscalculated the amount due or he'd not got to whatever, but he was short. And panic grew in that crowd at the front. And Don says his dad dropped 20 pounds on the floor, 20 pound note on the floor, tapped the chap on the shoulder and said, I think you dropped something. Which enabled the family in front to go into the circus. But their family had to go home. That's putting the manual principle into practice. 
And whatever else you remember at Christmas time, remember this phrase, Emmanuel, God with us. So who is this Emmanuel? Let me remind you. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's everything, and everything in heaven and earth was created through him. He holds everything together. He's the head of the church. He's the first person to rise from the dead. He's everything that God is. He was promised through the ages. He died on a cross to reconcile us to God. And now God's revealed the mystery of his eternal promise to us. And it's this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he's going to present his people to God, holy, irreproachable, for eternity. That's the hope of glory. It's the hope of the world. It's Emmanuel. Or do you just want a talisman? Cole Maynard was the chaplain at the garrison in Forward here, and he used to attend this church. And he told us during his time in Iraq and Afghanistan that soldiers wanted to carry a sort of blessed cross into battle. They wanted a sign of God's protection during those tough times. And maybe you have your talisman or your lucky charm. The Israelites did. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And they thought that this alone would keep them safe as it would represent God's presence with them. They were wrong. And not many people will say that they don't want God's protective presence in tough times. But equally, have you or did you intentionally invite God to walk side by side with you in 2023? In everything you said, everything you did, everywhere you went. Or did you treat him as a sort of lucky charm? Or an insurance talisman to sort of keep you safe, but generally keep out of your way. Is it going to be the same in 2024? We've got to do something specific, something intentional to change the track of our journey in the past if we need to do that. And I just urge you to do something specific. What sort of specific things would help you? One of the the better things that Val and I did very early in our marriage, we decided that we'd never go to bed uh, without having spent time with Christ together. And we ended up with the UCB Bible notes, uh, which, uh, which are a, a, a short passage and then a reading. And, and basically, Val used to read the passage on the odd days, and, and I used to pray on the even days. And, and yeah, we, we used to sort of do it alternate days. But we always used to end up focusing our lives, our day, back on Christ at the very end of the day. One of the best decisions I think we've made, and we still do it to this day. Or quiet time notes for the morning, something that will give you some structure. Lectio 365 is a great meditation to just start the day with. Do you need to sign up for something? Is there a passion that you've got and it's just a woolly sort of passion? It's a, it's a nice idea but you've not grounded it in anything. If you're going to change in 2024 to align your life with Jesus' priorities, you may need to do something specific, something intentional, maybe to sign up for something, maybe to 
organize, whatever you do, but do it intentionally and not just drifting. Because drifting into relationships, half-hearted relationships, as anybody will know, half-hearted relationships don't work. You might as well not bother. It's exactly the same in our relationship with Christ. A half-hearted relationship with Christ is really not cutting it for anybody. In our Boxing Day quiet time, uh, again UCB as it happened, our notes prompted us to Luke chapter 2 verse 20. And the thought had never struck me before. But it reminds us that after seeing the baby Jesus, the shepherds went back home. Praising God, glorifying him for all that they'd seen and heard. But they returned to their flocks and to their fields. And guess what the wise men did as well? They went back home. Each no doubt with fresh energy, but they still had to return to their normal, routine, everyday life. And after we celebrated the birth of Christ, we got a return to the office, to school, to whatever we do during the day. Because it's there that your faith grows. It's there, nurtured in the soil of the ordinary and the mundane, that God does great things. Those of you who ever used to be in Crusaders years and years and years ago, one of the quiz questions that we used to have, and we'll do a quick go in the, thing, in the church, who was the first person in the Bible that's recorded as having been filled with the Holy Spirit? Not many ex-Crusaders here. It's Bezalel uh, in the Old Testament. And do you know what Bezalel was? He was a craftsman. He was a worker. He was a designer. He did all sorts of stuff. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a God, sort of in the God business. He was an ordinary guy doing ordinary stuff, filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do it in Christ's name, in God's name. And that's what our lives are all about, our ordinary life of work. So when you're going back to work on Monday, pray God's Holy Spirit to empower you to represent him, to work well, to make a difference. But intentionally invite him to walk with you because that's what Bezalel did. What sort of things would mark you off? Doing your job well, daily quiet times, daily tasks, habitual generosity. Doing these things as a matter of your ordinary routine. Walking together with Christ, not just at Christmas time, but today, tomorrow, the whole of 2024. And doing it intentionally, not just as an act. Something that happens. New Year is a good time to set the mark, to put the Emmanuel principle in the very center of your life. So why not respond as we're just going to worship in a minute, as that's over, Ian's going to take us through how we might respond with a resounding yes for the first time, maybe for the umpteenth time, to make this year, 2024, the year when we intentionally 
put the Emmanuel principle into practice in our lives every single day.